ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more. Okay, recording. When you think of skyscrapers, you think busy cities. Not villages in the middle of the bush. But driving on the back roads near Stroud, you might spy what looks like a block of flats. Recording. We just passed the little sign that said Gervin. Oh, can you see that on the hill? Oh my God, you can see it already. It's just unique. It looked like a a big finger on a hill. (laughs) Might be be a way of putting it. There's nothing to compare it to. There is nothing. They compared it to an island. Hey, I'm Laurie Dixon, and today on Newcastle Cast, the ABC's local podcast all about Newcastle and the Hunter Valley, how does the tallest private house in Australia end up here, in the middle of nowhere? So we're on the ninth floor. We're walking out onto the balcony. Yep. So basically the roof. This is the roof. Yep. Um, it honestly is a bit breathtaking. I don't think I've ever seen a view like this. I'm 30 metres above the ground in Girvan, a small community just outside Stroud, about an hour north of Newcastle. From here, on a viewing platform on the roof of this 10-storey building, I can see all the way to the ocean at Nelson Bay and Hawks Nest, with 360-degree views of rolling hills and rural countryside. It's stunning. But how did this skyscraper end up here? Of all places. We're saying it's the tallest house in Australia, right? Yep, apparently apparently it's the tallest residential house in the Southern Hemisphere. I'd originally heard about this big yellow building from Blake in the ABC Newcastle office. He'd seen it on the road and thought we should find out the story behind it. And now I'm here, towering above trees in a building that looks like it belongs on the Gold Coast or in Miami. But the story starts about 30 years ago with an eccentric local character called Peter Gray. I truly don't remember how much it was. It was built over six years and it just sort of took time, but we just kept going. I looked at Peter as a very happy spirit. Peter was your old style and um, he stands out. He stands out a lot in my book. John Miles was Peter Gray's stock and station agent. I've heard stories that when he was a a young kid, he used to sell lemonade from the corner fuel station, which was there at Burrell. Peter did quite well for himself, buying up a few properties locally. He got to a point where he wanted to build his own place for himself, and he had a peculiar inspiration. Peter, Peter had a, had a love for high-rise buildings. He loved the Gold Coast. I remember Peter used to drive up to, up to the Gold Coast or Surface Paradise with his Surface Paradise cap on, and his songs... And he shorts and he'd buy some chips and then he'd, he'd drive all the way back. But he just, he loved that style of architecture and um, he decided to copy it. Peter had some land in rural Girvan. He had a vision of what he wanted. So he took a DA to the local council in 1994. Hear how the council responded, taken from an interview with Peter on Radio National back in 2009. I thought I was mad, but they obviously didn't realise that um, I would build it. They approved it? Oh, yes. No, they weren't a problem at all. The council was quite good. So you knew that there were no restrictions before you proceeded to the council? No, I had no idea. I thought um, six floors would possibly have been the maximum, but 
then I found out that there's no height restriction in a rural area, so that was good. And do you have intentions ever to go higher? There is a possibility. By the way, you can't do this now. Midcoast Council have changed their planning law since then, so don't go getting any ideas. No one thought Peter would do it. It wasn't an easy or a cheap build, but over six years, Peter built his dream home. Well, it had a, a big foyer um, with columns um, on either side, downstairs and, and a lift that you could obviously access all the different levels. Um, Peter had, a, had an office up the top. I had a desk, I had a desk there too sometimes. <laughs> but uh, down the bottom there was a, a, an indoor pool and most of the other levels were, were basically just, oh, I guess, family accommodation. Each of the 10 floors was designed like its own room and the house has its own elevator to move between them. Ground floor is the foyer and indoor swimming pool. Then there's a gym and a tennis court on level one. Levels two, three and four are all bedrooms, each big enough for a built-in wardrobe and a large ensuite. Level five is the kitchen, six is the lounge room, seven the master bedroom and eight is the office. Up on the ninth is the roof with a platform to survey all beneath you. It's living vertically and all in Peter's own style. Peter's taste was very, very different. Um, you had bright red carpet downstairs. You had a, a whopping big crystal chandelier. And as you went up to the levels, different levels of accommodation, you know, you might have an orange lounge. It was a bit gaudy, but that makes sense. I mean, it's a skyscraper modelled after the Gold Coast. There's no denying that Peter was an odd one. Now down here, what have you got, a tennis court? Do you use it? No, I haven't used it yet. And you've got a swimming pool downstairs as well, I notice. Yeah. yeah. Indoor swimming pool. Yeah. Do you use that? No, I can't swim. And you don't swim, and here's this amazing swimming pool. Yeah. You are intriguing. Um, and up the top, you had a big, big lookout and a big deck um, that basically you'd stand there and you felt like you were you're up in the clouds, all the birds would all be flying past. And, and some days um, you'd go up there and be that thick with fog. It was just amazing, but when it would clear, you could see the ships out, out in the Pacific Ocean. It was that high up that you were stuck in the clouds. <laughs> Absolutely. It was amazing. Absolutely amazing. I remember times there where we had um, firecracker nights when they were legal. Mm. And myself and Peter used to go into Heatherbrae there and we'd, we'd buy firecrackers. And he was like a big kid. You know, he'd buy 10 red ones and you know, 50 green ones and what have you. And then we'd, we'd, we'd set them up from the, from the observation deck right on top of the building and we'd play some music. Um, and then we'd let these crackers off. And of course, <laughs> from that height, wow. um, the sky rockets, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd envisage you could see them from Newcastle. Eventually, though, as Peter got older, it was time to sell the property. This is where it gets tricky. You've built your dream home in the middle of nowhere. And not only that, it's unlike any other building. It's a gigantic yellow skyscraper that looks like it's been airlifted out of surfer's paradise. Who would want to buy a house like this? Well, I've been in the industry now probably 20-odd years. From a, from a comparison point of view, no, nothing. Nothing even close to, to Peter's place. Um, and I, I can't think of anything uh, that would resemble Peter's place. Um, it, it, it's unique without question. Unfortunately, the, the market uh, dropped substantially, particularly in regional areas around that time. So we had it pretty much against us. It was 2010 and not a great time to sell. John, however, had a plan to raise interest. I thought initially that I'd try to give it an international exposure because I could really see um, the potential. Uh, possibly a health spa or, 
or possibly, you know, some sort of eco-tourism accommodation. I got it into the into the New York Times and I got it into the Hong Kong Daily and um, and I'm on Channel 7 with, with Today Tonight. They say a man's house is his castle, but in this case it's even bigger or taller anyway. I was quite amazed that Channel 9 um, came up in the helicopter. The challenge for the real estate agent will be finding a price tag for a view which from up here can only be described as priceless. Still, even with all that exposure, there wasn't a lot of interest in Peter's grand design. Until one day, flicking through the paper... It wasn't the, what drew me. It was my husband that got you know drawn to this place. So basically, he saw an article and he said, I found our new home. And I said, don't be ridiculous. That's a hotel. <laughs> and he's like, no, it's a private residence. I said, it looks like a block of units. How do you live in a house like that? And he's like, well, let's go and have a look at it. When Andrea Evans and her husband were shown around the Gervin estate, the 30-metre house had been on the market for two years. Andrea and her husband were local. They'd been living around Singleton, working in farming. But as they walked up the stairs to each level, Andrea got a sense of how this could work as a family home. Everyone says when they come in here, like, how do you live in a 10-storey building? The easiest way to answer that is to say, well, it's like a big house with five bedrooms. And instead of being spread out over a large area, it's just stacked up on top of each other. So Andrea took the plunge. They ended up buying Peter's dream for $1.275 million in 2012. That's about $1 million less than what it cost to build. It took us a long time to actually go through the process. It's probably one of the longest purchases that we've done um, because when we had to get it uh, valued, the valuers couldn't value this thing against anything. It was like, there's nothing to compare there it to. There is nothing. They compared it to an island. They literally compared it to an island. We fought, saw it in February and we didn't move in until June. Wow. So it was it was a long process because they couldn't find somebody <coughs> to, or something to compare it to, or evaluate, put a valuation on it. That's wild, isn't it? Mm. An island is right. From the distance, the building literally pops out of and above a sea of eucalypt trees. What Peter's sort of achieved, he's, he's pretty well done on his own and um, he's very, very black and white and he's certainly, a, he's certainly very, very cunning. But I, I found Peter really honest and um, I just found him a great spirit. I, I really I, I look up to Peter and I, and I miss him. I miss him very much like a father. Peter passed away in 2016, but his monument to his love of big buildings is still standing, tall above the tree line. <laughs> so you're taking us up to which floor? Um, eight. Okay. Yeah. All right. Do you take the lift very often over the stairs? Absolutely. <laughs> Flash forward to 2023 and Andrea and her family haven't changed too much from Peter's original vision. So we haven't done literally anything to the house in like the way that it's it is mm. so the paintwork's still the same the drips are still the same <laughs> like the everything is exactly the same we will at some point but we're not here to you know make this house pretty for the public because it's just a house it's our house and we live in it and every house is going to have its flaws exactly. everything is still the same even the red carpet they use the property as a farmhouse and have a permaculture farm based here which makes it even more bizarre to see a chandelier hanging from the ceiling or to have a balcony on every level or that Peter planted palm trees next to the building. That said, 
it doesn't mean they don't have a few complaints. Little kitchen that's just, yeah, it's not, I'm not happy with it at all. Maybe like, it was, wasn't one of Peter's priorities to have a, the kitchen near view. It was, it was definitely not on the list. He could have done so much more with the kitchen and it's so small, like the smallest stove you could think of in the biggest house in Australia. Like, From the outside, it might look bizarre to see this towering yellow building, but for Andrea and her family, this is their home. It's normal to live in the tallest private residential building in Australia, maybe the Southern Hemisphere. It's normal to use a slightly rickety elevator to go between your bedroom, your kitchen and your living room. Andrea's son James has been living here since he was just six years old. And what do people think when you bring them over for the first time, friends and, and people like that? What, what do they think about the house? Well, they're pretty um, pretty shocked. A lot of them just ask, is it apartments? Is it, what is it? Because they just still can't get through their head that it is a house. And I don't tell anyone before they come here. So <laughs> as soon as they come here, they just, they're mind blown. And when they're on their way up and they're looking for an address and they see this big thing on a hill, they don't expect that. So you've been here for 12 years. Is this your forever home, do you think? Uh, good question. Mm. I don't know. Um, the boys will say it's their forever home. It's their property. Um, it will get passed on to them. When these guys have their families mm. and wives and kids, then they can, mm. yeah, take mm. over and do whatever they want. Yeah, I, I plan to be in Girvan for the rest of my life. <laughs> mm-hmm. Literally, it's, it's my dream. And um, this house, you know, it's going to be great for the grandkids and all that. One man's Sunshine Coast-style skyscraper becomes another's farm and family home. Newcastle Cast, formerly known as the Newcastle Hunter-Catch-Up, is produced on a Wobbicool country by Toby Hemmings and me, Larice Dixon. Our executive producers are Blythe Moore and Lucia Hill. We are back with a new season looking at local stories from around Newcastle and the Hunter Valley. You can get in touch with us at newcastlecast at abc.net.au. Tell us what we should be covering. We'll be back with a new one for you next week. Catch you then. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.